0: Now, the, um, the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't endorse the preaching of any living contemporary except one. Uh, so, sorry to do this to you when you've just got comfortable in Matthew chapter 3, but keep a finger there and go forward five pages to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, that car driver is very excited about it. And in verse 7, Jesus starts to speak about John the Baptist. Who is he? A prophet. Verse 9, well, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. And then there's a quote, a quote that um, should be a bit familiar to you if you were listening when, when Mary was, was reading, because it sounds a lot like Isaiah 40, except it isn't. Uh, this is actually from Malachi. So two Old Testament prophets tell us to look out for John the Baptist, John the Preparer, uh, the messenger of Jesus. So Jesus, he thinks he's important. He's prophesied and he's more than a prophet. But look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 for an endorsement. Uh, The Lord Jesus speaking about a living contemporary. Verse 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, and that's all of us in case biology is a bit challenging at this time on a, a Sunday morning, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Uh, verse 13, he's the climax of the law and the prophets. He's the final prophet of the Old Testament. Verse 14, he is Elijah, who was to come. Now, I'm, I'm very glad there is no um, Rate My Preacher app that I'm aware of, where you, know, you could give me nil point and say rude things about my jackets. But if there was... What would we say about the man who Jesus rated like this? More than a prophet, the greatest human so far, Elijah, the messenger. That's quite a review, isn't it? So John's ministry, his message, his character, his life are endorsed by the Lord Jesus himself. So, whether um, you are the same age as Matthew Legg, uh, or if you are 80 years older than uh, Matthew, this is going to be important for us to hear. So, come back to chapter 3, and let's see what John has to say. And first of all, we're going to look at the content of his message. John, what is it you want us to know? There it is. There's my summary, point one for us. God is coming to take you home. So look down at chapter 3, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And repent will come back to, that's what he wants us to do, but what he wants us to know is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, we're in a, a six-week series that we've called God Save the King. Probably guess why we picked that for this uh, particular time of year. And we've gone through the early chapters of Matthew, lots about the birth of a baby who is God's long-promised king, all of the, the Christmas passages. But now we're, we're keeping going. One chapter more to the adult Jesus. When the king grows up, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament stands up to be his messenger And says, it is kingdom time. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Which fits everything that we've seen in Matthew. Uh, The first verse of the book. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Fits when the Magi come from the east saying, where is the king? The one born king of the Jews. The king who will rule the whole world. But look down at verse 3. This is more than just a human king. Verse 3, Matthew goes to Isaiah, same as Jesus going to Malachi later on, same point. John, he is the great herald. He is the voice calling in the wilderness saying, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And if that happens, if the way is prepared, if the path is made straight, who will it be walking towards us in Isaiah? Well, no question at all. This is the Lord. In Isaiah, that can only be God himself. Uh, in Isaiah, it's a, it's a glorious chapter. It's the turning point of the book. 39 um, moderately miserable chapters, taking the people into exile, and then a jump of generations, and then a voice of comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her her sin has been paid for, and then a voice Get the motorway built. It's really what this verse says, isn't it? Get the M1. We need the M1 roadworks to be over because the Lord is coming. Make a highway for our gods. And it goes on. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Say, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. What's he come for? After generations in exile under the rule of Babylon... He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God, and it starts on the day that God arrives, walking down that highway from the east to bring his people home. And that is John's message. Uh, There was exile, and then there's been a, a kind of return from exile for a few hundred years, a physical return. You, you've existed in the land under the rule of Persians and Greeks and now Herod and his Roman friends. But there will be a great day when the exile ends, when God comes as king to bring you home. And that day, that day has come near. And he means Jesus, which is the, the bigger endorsement. Do you see? Um, greatest prophet ever to live, that's what Jesus thinks of John. But John thinks Jesus is God. God come to his people and the end of exile and the beginning of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that, that also fits what we've been seeing for the last four weeks. Uh, this baby that we've met, the Christmas baby, he has no human father. It's the, the confronting shock at the heart of Christmas. 1 verse 19, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And one twenty-three also from Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And um, it's biology again, but Matthew, Joseph, Mary, Isaiah, John the Baptist, they're, they're not confused. They know that's not how it normally works, which is why they say they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby is the son of God. Look at the very end of chapter 3. Finally, God speaks from heaven to put it beyond doubt and says, this is my son. That's John's message. A friend of mine spends time offering to read the Bible with, with Muslim people. And often when they meet, they will read um, maybe a bit of the Quran and then talk about it and then a bit of the Bible and then talk about it. And he loves talking to them about John the Baptist. Muslims have a, a very high opinion of John the Baptist, and actually a very high opinion of Isaiah the prophet as well. And here is Isaiah saying that John is the messenger of Isaiah 40. Yes, yes, we agree. And and if he's the messenger, well, who does he prepare the way for? Well, clearly, Jesus. John prepares the way for Jesus. But who does that mean that John and Isaiah think that Jesus is? must mean that Jesus is God himself. Um, there's no way around that if you want to retain respect for John the Baptist as a prophet and a truth speaker. Okay, so that is, that's John's message. Jesus, he is God in person, come to end the exile and take you home, like carrying a lamb, because sin has been paid for and life the way that God intended it can begin. And I hope, um, if we just stop there, I hope you'd see why everyone would agree, John is the greatest preacher ever heard. Forgiveness and coming home. But as well as what John wants us to know, there is also something John wants us to do. Uh, The way that we are to access all of those benefits. Verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And his ministry, massively popular, verse 5, verse 6, when you track it through these verses, it is all about sin and all about repentance. Verse 6, verse 8, verse 10, which um, doesn't sit quite so well, does it? Doesn't sit so well with, with modern views of good preaching or with modern views of Jesus himself. If If this is the prophet endorsed by Jesus... Is it a surprise to find him like this? So um, let's sum him up. Uh, John the Baptist, point two, he is an uncompromising prophet of repentance. I'm um, reading through the verses, I think we can work out what he means by repentance. Verse six, it, it starts with a confession of sins, starts with a, an open admission. Of what you've done wrong. That's the thing that, that never actually happens uh, in most of life, isn't it? Whether it's uh, it doesn't matter whether you're Liz Truss or Tony Blair or last night's football referee or you or me in work uh, workplace when something goes wrong. Um, we're all about it wasn't me, aren't we? It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Let me explain. Blame him, uh, not me. Starts with confession of sins. And then they get baptised, crowds of them. Uh, Same picture as we we saw here with Matthew earlier. It's hope of sins washed away, but it's also about declaring a whole new life. Baptism, it is death and burial and resurrection. The, The old me is pushed underwater by John in the River Jordan and dies symbolically. And the person who comes back up intends to turn their back on the sins that they confessed before going in. A new person now who will live a different way. So confession of sins, a baptism, and then absolutely clear, an expectation of a changed life. And John, he is at his most uncompromising when he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming towards him, the religious elite of Jerusalem. Look at verse 7. Here they come, and he says, you brood of vipers. It's not very polite, is it? Um, And his problem is their lives don't match with what they say they're doing by coming there to be baptized by him. He says, no, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Or verse 10, if there's no fruit, well then, John, he is not interested in your confession or your baptism. There's no reality to it. See, John, the, the real John the Baptist, he is uncompromising, he's confronting, he is urgent. You must repent. Everyone must repent. Verse 9, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, as if God was running short of children of Abraham. So he better accept whatever it is they're prepared to offer. No, no. God can turn stones into disciples if he really wants, and there's plenty of stones. The only question is whether you will repent. God is coming to take you home if you will repent. And um, John is so uncompromising, actually, that he ends up going after the king, uh, King Herod, a different Herod from the one we met in, in chapter two. And um, this King Herod, he has a, a family problem. He is public and it's a scandal. He has married his brother's wife. And um, what is John the Baptist going to say? Can he make an exception for the king? Um, that's normally how it works, doesn't it, all over the world? It seems uh, not to have worked for Suella Braverman and her um, speeding ticket just over the weekend. But generally, the rules are different for the powerful. But John is the uncompromising prophet of repentance, and he won't even bend for the king. In fact, John doesn't really have a choice. Uh, Isaiah has given John the most important job in world history up to this point. It is verse 3, prepare the way. Make the path for God to come. It's um, finish the roadworks on the M1 so that God can arrive. And the urgent preparation that all of us need to make but to be ready to meet God, it is repent. Whether you are a king uh, or you are nobody, John's job is to prepare us, and his appeal is repent. And the response of thousands in his day, thousands since, is confess, be baptised, and produce fruit of repentance. And John, he cannot change that message, and doesn't for the king, which sees John thrown in prison. That's where he is when Jesus endorses him in, verse, in chapter 11. And three chapters later, he is beheaded, and he is buried. that is the greatest prophet ever, the greatest human being ever, according to Jesus. And I wonder if we are surprised. Because there's been a a new version of Jesus, carefully constructed over the last 200 years for, for use, really, in sort of polite Western civilized circles. And that Jesus... That Jesus, I think, would struggle to endorse John the Baptist, wouldn't he? It's a pretty good way to tell whether the, the Jesus of my imagination fits with the real Jesus on these pages. Uh, the, the close relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist, that is inescapable in every single gospel. But if my imagined Jesus would be embarrassed of John, or horrified by John, well, then something strange has happened, hasn't it? See, in truth, I am, um, I'd say, 100% certain that John the Baptist would not pass uh, Church of England's selection to become a a vicar and do my job, Um, which is odd, isn't it? If Jesus thinks he's the best prophet ever. Um, But let's not throw stones too easily. I suspect John the Baptist wouldn't get through the interview process at the the majority of UK mainstream evangelical churches either. Uh, We often ask people to send us a sermon when we're interviewing them. And I tell you, no one has ever sent a sermon like verses 7 to 10 when we've asked them. But the, the logic in the passage is inescapable, isn't it? Prepare is the 700-year-old job, which means the same as make straight, which means the same as repent, which means the same as confess your sins, start a new life, and produce real, actual fruit of repentance. And that uncompromising call, that's at the heart of the ministry that Jesus endorses. In fact, that is the great application of the Old Testament. As the prophets and the law, they tell us how to meet our king. How to meet God in person. So the the challenge, certainly the challenge to my preaching is clear, isn't it? And do I say this? Do I tell the truth like this? The challenge to all of our witness at work, the challenge to modern churches and what they tell the world about Jesus and what they tell the world it needs to do. Repent. Leave your sins, start a new life and produce actual fruit. In what you do and say, what do you think? Is that the greatest message? Uh, is it even a, a good message? In fact, I think um, somebody, somebody, maybe a lot of people have done an amazing PR job on sin, haven't they? Uh, over the last hundred years, if you could get the name of that PR agency and you know get them to work for your company, that would do a lot of good, wouldn't it? See, for John the Baptist, sin is a, a bad thing. Sin is bad for you, hurts you, uh, is the bad thing. And when God comes near, it is sin that puts you at risk of meeting God's anger. Verse 7, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath. But the the water that we all swim in sees sin as the good thing. Isn't it? it? It's freedom. It's good for you, it's therapeutic when you feel bad, it's self-expression, it's even self-realization, as if you cannot really be you without your sin. And Christians who swim in that water all of the time, we find it hard to speak the real good news, the good news that Isaiah said is going to come, good news, your sin has been paid for. God is coming to bring you home. So just leave your sin behind and come and meet him. And that would be good. Leave behind selfishness. Leave behind acting on your desires, even if they hurt other people and hurt God. Leave behind lies and tell the truth about who you are and how you've lived. Leave behind uh, your regret and your guilt and your shame and come and meet the God who will embrace you and carry you. Uh, a friend of mine has written a book recently. I'm embarrassed to say I've not read it. I, I haven't told him that yet. So I'm not able to endorse it yet as, you know, the greatest book ever written by someone born of woman. Um, but helpfully, another friend has been posting little quotes from it on Facebook. So I've got that for you and that's all. So um, here's, here's one quote. The call to repentance. It sounds like bad news to the sinful heart. Is that true? The call to repentance, it sounds like bad news to the sinful heart. And it can be difficult and painful to walk away from sin. That's true, isn't it? Then he says, but it is never actually bad to do so. It's never actually bad to do so, for sin is in fact bad. And it is a joy and a delight to be free from it. So what if, what if that was the real truth? That sin is bad and joy is found in being free of it. It would mean that John's ministry is good and should be copied, not hidden. And, and it means that we should stop apologizing, I think. He goes on, my friend, to talk about um, the way we apologize for the cost of following Jesus. He says, no, abandoning sin is not part of the cost. It's part of the blessing of discipleship. Let me say that again. Abandoning sin is not part of the cost. It is part of the blessing of discipleship. So John the Baptist, he has good news for you today. If you will abandon sin and walk to meet Jesus, if you will confess and walk to meet him, Okay, well, time is nearly gone for this morning. We can return to this next week, but I want to close with one final surprise from the last two verses. Um, John, the preacher endorsed by Jesus, he is an uncompromising prophet of repentance. And Jesus, third, Jesus is the same but more. So if we put um, all three headings up on the screen, you see point one, this is the big moment in world history. God is coming. Point two, there's no doubt at all about what we have to do. We have to repent. But point three, Jesus is not who many people think he is. He's not the softer replacement for John. In fact, he's not even just more of the same. Uh, he is the same, but more. The same, but more. And you can tell that, just turn one page on, chapter 4 and verse 17. If you're looking for the difference between Jesus and John the Baptist, you won't find it in their message. Um, We've read today what Matthew thinks is John's message in summary. Just look at verse 17. Here is um, the message of Jesus in summary. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's word for word the same, what Jesus wants to say and what John came to say. Uh, The light that is Jesus is the same uncompromising message. And verse 11, verse 12, it's all about escalation. We haven't got time for it in detail. Instead of water, he will use fire and the Holy Spirit. Water operates on the outside, we have a slightly cleaner baby for you this morning, Um, but fire and the Spirit does the same on the inside. He's opposed to sin, the Holy Spirit, and will roar through our hearts like a fire. He will point out our sin. That was my experience, uh, the Spirit pointing out what I was really like. I was a thoroughgoing Pharisee, but I could not avoid seeing my sin, and it was horrible. And he purifies us from the inside out. And verse 11, instead of a human, a great prophet, Jesus is way off the scale better. uh, So that John is not even worthy to carry his sandals. And verse 12, John talks about judgment day. John talks about axes at the uh, root of the tree. But what John talks about, Jesus will actually do. Um, the winnowing fork, that means hard physical farm laboring, means a, a barn full of wheat that is valuable along with straw and the husks that are not, that you want to separate. And Jesus, he will clear his barn. And those who repent, he will bring home. Sins forgiven and carried in his arms. But those like the Pharisees who refuse to confess, who um, maybe like them claim an exception or a privilege, Will they go into unquenchable fire that Jesus elsewhere calls hell. So that's the preaching of John uh, in chapter three today, endorsed by Jesus. And I just want to leave you with um, two questions. First question, and it's really the one we've been asking all morning. First question, was Jesus wrong about John? Was Jesus wrong about John? Should Jesus really have distance himself from this kind of uncompromising message? Second question, far more important for us really, was John wrong about Jesus? Um, Verses 11 and 12, when John is talking about Jesus, um, is this the message of the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Is this what he wants to say to the world, which is to say, Was the God-appointed, recognized herald, was he fundamentally mistaken about the character, the purpose, and the ministry of Jesus? Uh, Jesus, who was his master, his cousin, and his colleague. Which is really to say, was the whole Old Testament wrong about God? Wrong about the kingdom of heaven, and wrong about what to do when it comes near. And wrong about what it means for us to accept Jesus today. So I'm going to read um, John's message again. Wonderful news, shout it to Jerusalem, or terrible news, horrific news, embarrassing news. John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And let me pray before we sing our last hymn. Dear Heavenly Father, we're we're struck how different this is to how often we we imagine what you would say to us, what your message is, different uh, so often to more comfortable messages we give ourselves. But Father, we thank you for this offer that we could be free of sin, we could turn our back on it, it could be paid for, Uh, we could walk to meet you without shame and guilt and have you embrace us and carry us home. And we pray, our Father, by the Spirit, in the hands of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you would baptize us from the inside out make us pure and holy and turn us towards you in repentance, we pray. For Jesus' glory. Amen.